Meeting in one hour. If you don't make it, you're on my Dunzo list. Oh, what's a Dunzo list? It means you and I are Dunzo. Hanging out, getting food together. Dunzo. You want to come over to my house and play video games? Dunzo. Hey, Tom, you want to come play putt-putt with me? No, we're Dunzo. Babe, we got to make that meeting. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to an original recipe episode of Let Me Tell You Something. The podcast that takes an aspect, a person, a movement, an era, a notion, a philosophy within the world of wrestling, and dissects it with all the bluntness of Brutus Beefcake Shears. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the chick magnet Venom to my chick magnet Punk. The Luke Gallows to my Joseph Mercury. The CP Monk to my Colt Cabunny, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing today, mate? I'm doing fantastic. We've done something about this person before, but we're going even broader, as we love to do in our original Let Me Tell You Something, Fred, today. So I've come in ready to explore this topic and make my opinion along the way. I'm trying to come in without preconceptions so i'm I'm excited for this journey i'm excited to see where we go with this and what precisely is the topic of discussion for this episode simon it's a question and the question is what does cm punk represent so we've already got the smart answer out of the way it represents chick magnet punk (laughs) what was your first experience of cm punk for me it was when I was just starting to follow Ring of Honor online, there was talk of all these people that they should bring in. And CM Punk very early got into the conversation. And then their first Ring of Honor show was in February 2002. And I believe it was November 2002 that CM Punk made his debut against Colt Banner. And he actually lost that match. He was gradually built up. And you heard these stories about him, obviously. I think by then he had his 90-minute match with Chris Hero and everything. Mm. But the moment, and we did it as a Match of the Week episode, that really was when CM Punk took off, was the feud with Raven in early-ish 2003 was when it started. And Punk officially turned heel for that feud. He'd basically been a babyface, but with no real storylines outside of a little bit of one with Gok Banner. And from there on, it was off to the races. And very early on, I think even before I'd seen a match... After he'd done that promo, one of his first famous promos, and one that he references in his feud with MJF, he's had a big brawl with Raven. It's led to him bleeding. And after the match is over, he cuts a promo with Colk, Banner, and Daphne on either side of him about how Raven reminded him of his father Mm. and his drink and everything. And he said lines like, I will become a monster to fight the monsters of the world, which was something that he literally said. 
after MJF's famous, you stupid old man, I'm a snake. Yeah. Beat up, which was another reference to another CM Punk promo. And this was like, it was one of those things where Gabe's Polsky was like, this is so good. We've got to get this out immediately. We can't just put this on a DVD. So Mm. this is pre-YouTube days. So you're getting your download real player seven or whatever it had to be (laughs) in order to watch it. Oh God, that'd be... That's the peak lime wire, that stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where it came from. So I was very early into it. I wasn't like the ones that knew him from the local scene. But as close mm. as he came to a more of a national exposure for the first time was when I became aware of him. How about you? Was it WWE CW or was it stuff in TNA, his brief run there, which was going along in parallel with this time? And of course, TNA being TNA at that time, of course, CM Punk is booked to be in Raven's faction <laughs> at the same time that he's feuding with Raven over all the other independent <laughs> promotions around the country. TNA gonna TNA, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Forever and always, baby. <laughs> No, mine's actually slightly later on, towards the tail end of his run with Ring of Honor. I first became aware of CM Punk through Power Slam magazine, and obviously they were talking about his storyline where he looked like he might abscond to WWE with the Ring of Honor World Championship. Famously replicated later on in the WWE itself, of course, at uh, Money in the Bank. But it was around then, it's like this guy's got like a really hot, he signed like a... Yeah, more WWE. ways than one, eh, son? <laughs> he signed a WWE deal. It was that whole Power Slam thing, which had a large elements of truth to it. If Vince wants to, there's something there. And then it was like a little bit of ECW. WWE, ECW, I saw him in. I saw a match with him and Chavo Guerrero. I think he threw Chavo Guerrero into the Gulf of Mexico at one point. So it was like little bits and, and stuff there. Because I don't really follow WWE, ECW. Like, time is finite at the end of the day. It's the same reason I don't watch Ring of Honor now. Not saying it's a bad product. I'm saying my time is finite. <laughs> So it was little bits as it as it went along, and then he hits the main roster. I have it seared into my brain the Survivor Series team he was on with DX, and he was getting the loudest chance. And then Triple H graciously let him say that "Are you ready?" thing to like make sure the camera was also on him at the same time. If you're cynical, if you're not cynical, obviously just going with the flow. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who still follows wrestling. He no longer lives in the UK. He's out in the middle east and he really like loved that angle uh, that moment with with cm punk and then it just grew from there he gets the title win but he doesn't really impress me the first time around because because of how he was booked he loses his first title without being in the ring because randy orton batters him backstage and then i get older and i get smarkier and I go oh this guy's really good then the 434 period and from there it was all like oh cm punk's awesome kind of thing that's quite a gap in between i mean 434 comes after the pipe bomb yeah was the moment that you became a CM Punk fan when he had the feud with Jeff Hardy, when he did the heel turn? Uh, again, not really, because that was sort of like lean period watching WWE. It's sort of happy coincidence. The side of time I really started getting hooked with WWE again and was watching the pay-per-views as much as I could and Raw, wherever I could get my hands on it, through whatever means. Uh, Were you a student at that point? No, no, I was... Um, so it would have been like Bed With Art Centre days, actually, thinking about it. I guess because I had more free time being an A-level student rather than a GCSE student. I got, but I had the time to watch more wrestling, and it was around that time that CM Punk was starting to catch, and then the pipe bomb hit, and it was fascinating. It was like, where's this going to go? It's... 
I actually stayed up to watch the uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-view live. And that was in my period of like when I was at university and like pubs were showing it. I just watched it at some guy's, uh, of my friend's house. He sort of hit me at the right time. Like timing's everything in wrestling. And in terms of like capturing my fascination, CM Punk was right place, right time in this storyline. Which I then obviously like when memory, I sewed memory back in. And I did know that this was like a replay of what he'd done prior. But I was still fascinated because I'm seeing it for the first time. And it's the WWE. Like the WWE doesn't let itself look weak at any opportunity. And even though it was a storyline and even though CM Punk had signed his contract like, you know, prior, blah, blah, blah. And I knew that having read Power Slam. It's still WWE and specifically Vince McMahon making himself look like a fool, albeit for a short period of time, just wasn't really done. It was done within... An internal universe, obviously, seeing uh, Vince McMahon looking silly with Stone Cold Steve Austin several times and with DX and what have you. But never to the point where a character got to leave the universe with something Vince loved, like the WWE title in this case. Like, even in storyline terms, that was just, like, bizarre. It was just a different... It's something we hadn't seen before in the uh, WWE universe. So was it the pipe bomb... That made you a fan. The pipe bomb was very well delivered for me at the time. And it was a really good promo. What's become of it since and people doing it, their own versions of it. it hasn't took the shine off how it was originally delivered. And here's something we'll possibly get into. Maybe who CM Punk is as a person has took the shine off of it a little bit. Especially with its um, sequel, shall we say. So this is one of the fundamental issues of our time isn't it of um i guess people call it cancel culture and i'm not going to get into that but that question of if a person is a bad person does that mean you shouldn't like their stuff or does it put a cloud over what they've achieved what they've accomplished and obviously nothing that cm punk has done is of the level of what people who are mostly in that cancel culture sphere get accused of ultimately we have covered this sort of before because as part of the five star project there is a chris benoit match so we have had art versus artist conversations before in our in our thread of conversation i guess this is more just can you be a fan of someone whilst not necessarily liking them as a person in a situation like pro wrestling where so much of it is about some sort of allegiance or loyalty to different characters. I've said it several times, we've we've teased this, it will happen eventually of me doing like all these lists of my favourite, bloody bloody blah. And some of these things are coming into my thought process. And I'll do a top favourite wrestlers. And I think in my rough, immediate thoughts, penciled in version of the list, Punk is in the top ten. Mm. But... From a very early stage of being aware of Punk and being a fan of his work, I was aware of his prickly demeanour. And I got a sense that if we met in real life, depending on how I was in that moment, he could be very rude to me Mm. and put me off him as a person. And then after that, would I have been someone that then never liked his work afterwards? Because that can affect you. Yeah. I think especially in the world of pop culture... And in the world of the here and the now, it's a lot harder to separate, I think, in the moments. It's like my favourite painter ever is Caravaggio. And that man's a flat-out murderer. (laughs) But it's also a case of Caravaggio is not making a lot of money off his paintings now. He's not walking out into an exhibition and being applauded by the glitterati of the art scene. You take into account what he was as a person, but you also 
look at the work that he's done and the influence that it's had to this day. And you just look at a Caravaggio painting and without knowing anything, it's like, just look at that. You don't know the artist. Is that a great work of art? You'd, you'd say yes, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And it's always been that whole thing about the veil of anonymity, allowing some art to be appreciated in and of itself. And I think that Hannah Gadsby, the Australian comedian, I think she summed it up really well. And she's actually curated an exhibition subsequent to this with Pablo Picasso, and everyone celebrates him. And he was a user of various women, young women. Mm. And she said, we don't know what the young girl that he used could have done and the great art that we might have lost from another great artist holding back great art right i'm with you i'm with you it's like when we went to see the wwe live show i'm not going to dispute that tyson fury is probably the best heavyweight boxer of the last 10 15 years but when he came out i didn't want to applaud him yeah so that's me. I'm never, ever, ever going to cheer on Conor McGregor in a fight ever again. And not just because of the recent stuff. I've seen too much and heard too much and watched too much. Yeah. To see that this is no one, nothing other than a scumbag. And again, CM Punk does not compare to any of these people. But then when it comes to something like wrestling, which is a love and an enjoyment and a wanting to attach it to good feelings. For all the good feelings that CM Punk has given me and may give me in the future, he's also brought about like an underlying sadness to a lot of what has happened. Like one of the pivotal matches for changing me as a wrestling fan was him and Colt Cabana tag teaming against the Briscoe brothers. Yeah. Because it was one of those moments where I realised that I needed to stop taking myself so seriously, he says during a podcast. <laughs> it's been running for 10 years. But I think... To be fair, throughout the whole run of this show, we've always had that tone of, what the fuck do we know? Yeah. Trying to be lighthearted for the most part. And that there's like a darkness underneath it, especially with Cock Banner and CM Punk, because I loved the fact that they were friends. It was part of what I loved about them as a team, whether they were on screen and off screen, this unlikely odd couple. Yeah. That had this friendship that kind of went across social barriers, really. The jock goofy Colk Banner with the serious but straight edge alternative CM Punk. Yeah. Like two guys that would never hang out in high school. It was like those sort of high school misfits. Or a high school misfit with another guy who doesn't look like anything like a high school misfit. Mm. And underneath that it suggested oh maybe CM Punk's not that serious a guy if he can enjoy Colt Cabana's company. And he obviously he's played a straight man foil to Cabana in those moments but... There's more to it. But then when you listen to the interview that set off the lawsuit, that set off the breakup of the friendship that led to the gripe bomb, you're seeing all these aspects of CM Punk's personality that are off-putting and make it harder to enjoy his work because he brings about an anger and a sadness that I don't like. Yeah. That I don't enjoy and that feels like it toxifies wrestling and I enjoy wrestling and I want wrestling to be... Because some people are like, oh, we should want conflict backstage and everything. And obviously it's none of our business. Uh... But my problem with conflict backstage is that I disagree that it leads to... Always leads to great work out there. I think it leads to what could have been great work out there not happening because the people weren't willing to work with each other. Everyone's got their dream Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks versus CM Punk and FTR six-man tag match. Yeah. But it's specifically because of the events that have led to this dream match that we may never get that dream match. It's just not conducive to a good work environment. You're not going to get the best out of people. I think it's a case that if there is a pop culture figure, an icon, they're 
put they're put up on a pedestal and you do like them and then you put them in on a pedestal in your mind for the most in in some way shape or form you think they're super talented or whatever and i think everyone's hope if they were to ever meet that person is at the very least that that person was courteous to you, that they were friendly to you. And that's a weird thing that we just want to know. It's like a bonus to us, and we kind of need it, that not only is Tom Hanks a great actor, but that he's a great guy. That's the belief, anyway. More and more people are starting to not believe that. Mm. And it just adds to the level of liking of someone. It's like the recent example of that fan bothering John Cena. And everyone's like, well, John Cena handled that pretty well, considering all he's doing is sit, being sat at a restaurant and someone's just yelling, like, shouting his catchphrases at him and trying to get engagement. Well, no one's begrudging that against, a wrestler, <laughs> against John Cena. I haven't seen that video, so I can't comment. Because people go out and meet their heroes and go, oh, hi, I, 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 you know, I, you, you need to, like, some people do go into that approach of, oh, I'm going to interrupt you no matter what you're doing and go, like, I like you, you must, like, you know, give me some, gra- like, some clout or some, like, a- an autograph or a- these days a picture. And, like, not very few of us in life are going to be disrupted all the time in moments like that. So them being put on this pedestal does expose them to being annoyed in, like, a lot more intimate moments. Yeah, I don't begrudge CM Punk sometimes being short with a fan who was rude to him. In the pipe bomb segment, famously, he has a go at those guys who wait at the airport yeah. for his signature. And I, no one was like, oh, well... I think that was him trying to keep some sort of heel edge to him in that promo, because when you look back at that pipe bomb, there were a lot of compromises or... Not compromises, but there was a lot of hedging going on within there. Mm. Like he never brought up TNA. And obviously he had his issues with TNA, but if he wanted to get to WWE, if he was being truly rebellious, he would mention the promotion that had the big national TV show elsewhere. Yeah. And it's funny because then, a few weeks later, John Cena, the guy that's allowed to do and say all this shit, did make allusions to TNA because they they, they wanted to represent Cena in a certain way as well that didn't necessarily work. Yeah. But I think what CM Punk is very good at is manipulating. And manipulators can use that power for ill as well as good. And Punk knows that. And again, I'm not accusing him of going to those levels. But he knows how to sort out the situation. And there are times when you see cracks in the facade. The gripe bomb was the best example of that. Mm. But it was also things like during his return promo when he was saying things about, I sold out Madison Square Garden, I sold out the Budokan Hall. So, well, maybe you sold every ticket that they put on sale at the Budokan Hall. But again, it's always those things <laughs> off. But then it's like you're looking at layers on layers of like, he would know that we would look it up and we would find out that that's not true. So is that him doing his subtle heel stuff? For one part of the audience, whilst being a babyface for the other part of the audience. Mm. You know, there's always that bullshit, there's two types of people in this world. People who like X, people who like Y. Yeah. And it's, like, you can apply that to literally everything. There are two types of people in this world. There's someone that's listening to me currently recording this podcast ahead of time whilst holding a pen in his hand. Oh, wait, that's not a pen. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not. It's easy to do. But, there are ways of distinguishing people in certain lights i think one of the more interesting ones is there are people that tell anecdotes where they in some way shape or form are the idiot are the foil do something dumb and then there are those that to quote alan partridge's autobiography needless to say i got the last laugh the 11 are reefs 
Mm. The ones that said, and then everybody applauded. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the shop applauded me. And obviously there are deviations within there. It's not like every story some people tell, they're always the hero. Yeah. But there are definitely those that skewer more towards one way or the other. I have a friend, dear close friend. He's always right in every story he's ever told, and he's always got the right answer to everything that was brought up in the light of the moment. That's just him. The one time I caught him out of, like, demonstrably being wrong about something. We were sitting around playing a computer game or something. And he just was silent for, like, the next ten minutes until a new subject or topic could be brought up. (laughs) You broke his, like, programming, basically. Kind of. (laughs) And there are people like that. Like, there are. And CM Punk, I think, falls into that category more often than not. Mm-hmm. And obviously things like the Best in the World documentary that he did for himself for the WWE was one of those examples where it's like he was right in every situation, every family member was uh, wronged him, and he just has this zero tolerance, which kind of, I guess, is exemplified by him being straight edge. Yeah. And literally having it tattooed on him. Because I remember CM Punk doing a promo during the whole straight edge society period at DX, and Triple H in the ring saying, I don't get you, punk. You say you don't drink, you don't smoke. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. But I don't have it all tattooed all over my body. So he's like, Triple H is straight edge in that definition of it, but he's not made it a core tenant of his personality. Yeah. Like, Muslims are straight edge. I guess they can't have tattoos, but, you know. <laughs> you backed yourself into a corner there. <laughs> can they have tattoos? I don't believe they can. I would have thought not. If you can't imbibe spirits, you probably can't put markings on your body either i don't know just for uh, accuracy i'm t- I'm checking that <laughs> no they can't there we go tattoos are considered haram apparently okay well we've been harambling around the bushes here <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't ready i wasn't ready for that one but it's like for very long stretches of time i'm straight edge that's true, actually. Uh, yeah, you, you, like you say, Lorcan, you've rarely drank alcohol, but you, you've never highlighted that. Like, it no. took me a long time to actually learn that about. And it's, but then I guess it's not like it's a 100% thing. Like, probably over the past 20 years, if you total it all up, I probably average being drunk one or two days a year. Mm. Maybe. Because mm. there are dry years, and there were some years where I did it a little bit more. Yeah. So it wasn't, but it was also like if I never drank again for the rest of my life, it wouldn't be you wouldn't a problem it. for me. It wouldn't yeah. be an issue. It really was a thing of like, okay, who cares? Yeah. But Punk making it, it needed to matter to him and saying, but even like when you hear his stories about his dad, it's like, well, he wasn't really a raging alcoholic. But I think at times CM Punk also reminds me of that. Was it was it Dennis Wise that Alex Ferguson said? He could start a fight in an empty room. In a Buddhist monastery. Uh, There's all of those, yeah. All those cliches. Punk needs something to fight against. And there are humans like that. Uh, Some people, that's how they get their motivation. They they have to defeat something. Spite, Spite is a very powerful motivator. But it's a poisonous one. Yeah, and it feels like that's what's going to run this second run of CM Punk in AEW more than some sort of love for wrestling that he seemed to rekindle. Because mm. that was also another problem, because it was like another thing that was a shame, really, that made me so disappointed in the gripe bomb and everything that's happened after that, because it almost worked on a narrative that CM Punk had had this love-hate relationship with wrestling and with life. And with people. Yeah. 
And the way that his return to AEW was presented, it did almost feel like this was a whole. Like, if you're doing the biopic of his life, you could do that whole... A great point to end it. Yeah. In, like, a key narrative of just, like, trying to cover someone's life. Would have been him coming out for that first AEW show and the crowd cheering him. Mm. And you could do a proper, like, just before he's going to go out there. Hold on, son. CM Punk has to think about his entire life and what brought him to this place. (laughs) And then you do the flashbacks. See, there's an underlying sadness that I. It's almost like it's. It was like he relapsed. That mm. gripe bomb. And not only did he relapse, but he went on a bender to end all benders. Because so much of that part of CM Punk's personality, he'd been pretty good at hiding from the masses. Yeah. Like it's only people that have done the deep reads and like follow everything that are really nerdy about this stuff that was like we always knew that Punk had this side of him that he can present it when it's him fighting against the establishment that is Vince McMahon it's one thing when it's him fighting against the establishment that in his eyes is Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and Hangman Page yeah we have a different emotional bond with them quite similar to the one that CM Punk had with us yeah until he left and then pursued his MMA and his comic books and everything else that links to a point you've made earlier like he got put on a pedestal with the MMA and the comic books he got opportunities that other people didn't get yes in both those realms you look at his rating on the ufc game he's in that was a massive source of controversy when that came out what was he put down as he was late 80s like maybe around the 90 mark what yeah i'll double check the exact figure but i'm i'm adamant i'm right on that well the ufc whole situation was a curious one i guess we started recording around the time that he left wwe yeah and I said, and there's a recording back there, I don't think it's the pipe bomb, because I think it was after the UFC stuff. Oh, they've put him back in UFC 4, actually. I didn't know that. Jesus. I said at the time, I hope he does well, because I, again, I wanted him to be happy as a fan of his. I wanted him to achieve something. Yeah. 82. And that was before he'd done a first fight. That 82 out of 100. By him going into the UFC, I was just like, he's going to get destroyed. Because the whole thing about CM Punk was that he was never much of an athlete. Yeah. That it took him so much effort to do, like, leapfrogs and all that basic stuff that Colt Cabana got down. Naturally. Pat, immediately. And that's why I always say that, like, athleticism is actually not that vital to someone being a great wrestler is like the least important element of it because punk and cena aren't top rate athletes and they still have maybe the match of the decade you can argue on an emotional level if not necessarily on a work rate level Mm. on a crowd audience manipulation level they did it in a way that maybe even okada's and tanahashi's can't do yeah debatably that was one of those moments where it's like Okay, there is a level of delusion in this guy. Mm. And it was also evident, kind of, it seemed to me, in that documentary, because that was, like, as close as it was to, like, Punk getting his message across at his time, and him saying things like, yeah, we used to run these indie feds, these backyard wrestling promotions in Chicago, and we got a thousand people. (laughs) So, before you were a wrestler, you could draw crowds of a thousand Yet when you became a wrestler, you were drawing crowds in the dozens mm. in IWA Mid South mm. and Early Ring of Honor. Mm. So where's that coming from? Yeah, and then you just start to realise that there's a level of delusion in his head. Like he was going into that fight with um, not the fight with Mike Jackson, the first guy, Mickey Gall, Mickey Gall, and he was like, "I'm going to kick this kid's ass." And they picked, they handpicked him someone that didn't have much of a, a CV at that point, a stat padder. In combat sports, yeah. 
as Joe Rogan was like, the guy's a brown belt on jiu-jitsu, and CM Punk rolled around with at the Gracie Academy for a few years. And I think it was one of the few moments of just, like, reality hitting CM Punk very hard in the face. And I was so shocked as well in his post-match promo, where it was like, he became, like, this motivational speaker. Yeah. Babbling this kind of Tony Robbins bullshit that I couldn't quite believe someone who put across such a cynical persona that he could believe in that bullshit. And there was all this talk on Twitter of, like, all the wrestlers, like, what a brave guy. It's amazing what he did and all that. And it wasn't. It wasn't. I would have admired him more if he'd have gone and done an amateur MMA fight because that was the level that he was at, truly. Mm. But because of his prestige, he was coming in to do get a big UFC pay that he did not deserve on his MMA credentials and had just been spending years shitting on the WWE and their treatment of Dwayne yeah. at the same time. And then he comes out for a second fight against Mike Jackson, who is the second worst guy to ever fight in an octagon, at least beyond those first freak show era. You know, of the Dana White for Tita Brothers era of UFC. Yeah. That was the worst fighter that had ever stepped foot in an octagon in that time against the second worst fighter that had ever stepped into an octagon at that time. And the second worst guy demolished Punk the whole time. There were moments where he was doing... Punk tried to do some sort of spin kick, and it was pathetic. It was genuinely <laughs> pathetic. It, it, it's interesting, because like you look at the other example of someone from the WWE moving across to UFC, and I, maybe there's a part of Punk's head like, oh, it's been done before, so I can do it. The other guy that moved across was Brock Lesnar. <laughs> NCAA champion. Yeah. Freak, literal freak of nature. <laughs> if you take who were the greatest athletes to work in the WWE, he's easy top five. Yes. It's probably only Kurt Angle that's definitely above him. Mm. So why did Punk ever think he could do that? How could he ever have thought he could do that? Unless he thought, not sociopathic, but narcissistic ways. Where's the no person in his entourage? Well, he doesn't have them. And when they do say no to him, they become excommunicado very quickly and that was the other thing about him it was like there's so clearly like these definitive he has these very definitive moral standards that people have to live up to and when they step out of them it's not just that we're like we just lost touch it's like or we disagreed on one thing it's like they're the worst human being that's ever lived and i will never speak to them again yeah and that was always the funny thing with the cock banner because it was like that was the one thing that was like hanging over cm punk's return to AEW. because i was wondering like first of all had the iron gone cold for CM Punk to return. And the moment that made me suspect that was after the Colt Cabana lawsuit stuff, when, during a progress show... What's the guy's name again? The guy who ran it? Jim Smallman. When Jim Smallman was, like, doing a talk. And I think he named CM Punk, and people started booing. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, there's clearly... And I think to this day, most people are kind of like, CM Punk, love him, all that stuff. Not sure I fully agree with him on the Cole Cabana stuff, but it's clear there's a certain amount of NDA, so we don't know the whole ins and outs of it. But we do know that CM Punk, talking on Cole Cabana's podcast, got them both sued. CM Punk had a lot more money than Cole Cabana had, said, I'm covering you financially until he said he wasn't. Yes. And that was him going back on his word. Whether he thinks he's warranted to go back on his word or not, because Cole Cabana... 
incurred so many other costs and everything through his own legal counsel. But then why are you airing that publicly? Well, they kind of didn't, didn't, didn't they? That's the thing. Well, why is he talking about, like, Colt Cabana's mum's bank account? Well, that was when he'd, like, reached his boiling point, because he had never talked about it. And that was the po- point where I was like... And that was, again, in, like, during the MJF stuff, the G- MJF feud, which is, like, maybe the best thing Punk's ever been a part of from start to finish. Because he actually got to tell the full story. Yeah. In that time. Although then... Obviously, they were going to run it again before the gripe bomb happened. And as I said, my suspicion at time of recording is that Punk MJF is going to be the title match at All In. Mm. That was my prediction. May not be right, but it just feels like, who else do you put MJF up against that will feel warranted for a show at Wembley Stadium? Yeah. And who would CM Punk want to be up against at the show at Wembley Stadium? And if Kenny Omega is otherwise tied up with Will Ospreay, that's really your only other obvious candidates at this time. Yeah, they've not at a stretch Hangman Page, but I doubt it. They've clearly got them occupied with this Bullet Club Gold thing, but that is a placeholder. That yeah, that is all that is. That is something for the first few episodes of Collision. To go back several steps, the fact that during that entire MJF feud, MJF didn't once explicitly mention Colt Cabana showed that that was a no-go area. Yeah. Whether because of Tony saying so, whether because of Punk saying so, MJF must have surely asked. No, if you look at how he's like approached all his other feuds, yeah, I agree with you. He talks about Brian Pillman's dead dad. Well, that's on brand for AEW. I know. That's just the Christian Cage school of promos. <laughs> but it's still, that's, in theory, a bigger deal than a guy that was a friend that's not a friend anymore. Yeah. He made light allusions to it with saying, oh, he'll mention it on a podcast, or he'll abandon you. He abandons everyone. Mm. And it's so funny, I watched a, a, a fantastic summation sort of music video, but it goes on for like 40 minutes, just covering the entire MJF Punk feud. And so much of what MJF says is basically what Punk has gone on to do. I'm not gonna, I didn't list it all, but like, if you go back and watch all of MJF's promos, yeah. there's so much of it that rings even truer subsequent to this with the gripe bomb and everything. Heels are the best when they have valid points. Yeah. But it's like, now you look at the reaction that Punk gets, and it's so crazy, and it's just basically the gripe bomb that caused that. And that was him being him. Well, the thing that I think, when you boil down to it, and you did touch on it earlier, when you were like, what he perceives the establishment as. If you look at the internal world of AEW, the establishment could well be the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. But then you go top tier like down thinking you go like macro not micro in terms of like your observations aw still the is the anti-establishment because the establishment is still wwe that position hasn't shifted there's only so much anti-establishment you can be when you're literally running this thing because your dad's a billionaire yeah you're about as anti-establishment as kendall roy doing a rap (laughs) you're right but (laughs) in the specific sphere of how wrestling is perceived you're not right <laughs> but that was at a moment where vince mcmahon was on the outs i think that when the gripe bomb happened vince wasn't in charge at that point no he'd resigned by then i think so it was that thing of like it's one of that moment those moments where it's suddenly who is the bully in this situation yeah and it's the guy that has the world title, seems to have the ear of the owner, literally is talking over the owner during this press conference. Yeah. And it was just one of those moments when it was like, and he even even said those things like, what did I ever do? Proper, like, manipulators, gaslighters do. 
Again, mm. I'm not putting him in the stage of, like, he's not the worst of those things. If all that he's doing is manipulating a bunch of fans to buy his merch, fine, fuck it. That's marketing, effectively. Yeah, he's not Hulk Hogan. So, you know, even in the world of wrestlers, he's he's still mid-table for tossers in wrestlers. He never grasped up a union, yeah. <laughs> but he presents himself as the voice of the voiceless, as the one that's standing up for the little guy. And we all think we're the little guy. And he was the one trying to make WWE good again. Mm. I almost said make it great again. (laughs) (laughs) But things like the ice cream bars, it was like a combination of like that nostalgia mixed with that notion of WWE used to be good. And why isn't it anymore? But like, you know, if you were if you were a smarky wrestling fan in 1987, you would be furious that there are ice cream bars. Yeah. It's like people who got angry at Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles for not being faithful. And it's like, faithful to what? Because <laughs> there's so many different versions of the Turtles. And the version that you're probably thinking of, which was that, let's be honest, very shittily animated cartoon that we all used to watch. That was like the worst kind of adaptation of the source material if you want to be gritty and realistic. But that's what they knew. That's the thing. And it's always it's always that thing when you worry about being too nostalgic and that making it great again. Because it's always for a time that never truly existed. All that existed was that you were younger and life was <laughs> filled with possibilities. Do you know what? I, I go through this a lot when I play video games. I'm a massive fan of Warzone 1. Again, came at the right time with all the lockdowns and stuff. It was a great way to like reconnect. I have no idea what Warzone 1 is, by the way. I thought you were talking about WWF Wars, the computer game from 97. And at the time, we complained about all the problems we had with that map, the way the game was like, certain bugs that the game had, and stuff like that. And we did complain, and those we had valid complaints uh, about how like certain guns were overpowered and stuff. Now, now Warzone Two came out, and it's different, like in terms of like how you control it. So there, there were there were significant changes. Everyone's now looking at Warzone One days, going, "Oh, they were the best ever." Part of that's true because like maybe people feel a certain there's level of nostalgia about it, but because it was during lockdown and that's how everyone spoke to each other was through the party chats. So I'm using that as an example to like hammer home your point. Like people get nostalgic, but people get nostalgic for the era because it's attached to different things. The 1987 thing with the wrestling fans. Well, of course you liked that era. You were a kid. And it was catered towards you. Yeah. That's the big problem with our generation of wrestling fans. And I guess I'm putting it into just the general millennial period. But more like the first half of the millennials, for the most part. Wrestling, WWF specifically, was catering to us right up till we became adults. Yeah. When we were young and we wanted ice cream bars and we wanted superheroes. It was that. And then when we were teenagers and we wanted blood and violence and boobies, it was that. But then when we were 22, 23, 24, and it suddenly became about superheroes again and larger than life stuff, it wasn't catered to us anymore. But we've been there too long, the ones that stuck around, that we wanted that, we were constantly searching that high again. Yeah. And sometimes you got little snippets of that. I found it through Ring of Honor for the most part until Gabe Sapolsky left. And then I was kind of in a wilderness that I was always aware of stuff, but I never really cared that much. And I was never that emotionally attached. I've always had an emotional detachment to it. And it always kind of bothered me that online fans would be like WWF stupid and all that. But they'd still, they're the happiest when the guy they loved won the WWF title. So it was like, so you do care. Yeah. And you're just limiting it to yourselves. If you're going to continue to attach yourself specifically to WWE and not go elsewhere to find your fix. And CM Punk was whole, well, I'm going to be the guy that fixes it from within and I'm going to make it that way for us. Yeah. 
And very early on, basically two months into the summer of punk, we had the fall of punk in the American vernacular, and it's Kevin Nash powerbombing him, and it's him losing pinfall after pinfall. Yeah. (laughs) And so again, it was just like, but then we kind of deluded ourselves in the whole giving us what we wanted by having CM Punk feud with Daniel Bryan for the world title, but it was always the mid card, and it was always really a soap opera involving AJ Lee, so we got like a, a, a filtered version of it, a diluted version of it. And weirdly, Kane got involved. Yeah. Kane always gets involved eventually. (laughs) (laughs) And so we didn't get that, but again, it was like, don't just stick to the WWE. And then when Punk left, then it became the Daniel Bryan situation, but very quickly after that, Daniel Bryan was crocked and never returned for the longest time. Yeah. And obviously you had the whole Roman Reigns debacle after that. But then a lot of the time, whilst you had that going on, at the same time you had those bubbling scenes around the place. New Japan became more popular. The UK scene started taking off. The indies became increasingly popular, especially like PWG in particular. So there are all these ones, but it wasn't like the show, the thing that gave us like the high production quality, top level stars on a national TV show. There obviously was a facet of wrestling that a certain percentage of wrestling fans needed, and WWE was only providing them a facsimile of it at times. And what was curious was what CM Punk chance became. Because I think they became less about wanting CM Punk back, as it was saying what was on screen right now was dog shit. Yeah. And that's what CM Punk became. It became a boring chant. It became a change the channel chant. Yeah. And so, again, that's one of the things why I meant what does CM Punk represent. Sometimes, during that period of time, it didn't really represent the guy himself, because the guy himself, as Stephanie McMahon said once when they chanted it, is like, and now your chant has lasted longer than CM Punk did in the Octagon. Yeah. And so then, because then at that point, it did feel like that he's never coming back. So then what did the CM Punk chance become? It wasn't, didn't become we want him back, it became... And at that point, it was also like, well, he kind of screwed over his friend, so we don't really like him that much in that moment anymore. And he doesn't like us, because he would, like, dismiss wrestling. Yeah. And kind of almost have a haughty attitude towards it. It was like a way of saying, we don't like what we're seeing. You're right, it was like the boring champ. But in a way of going... This guy left you. Because of this shit. Yeah, so it was like a more vindictive version of the boring chant, if you see what I mean. It was like to try and poke them at man's wherever possible. I was really annoyed, actually, in hindsight, because we should have done this as a match of the week in, like, March or April time, because it was the 10th anniversary of it. The most intense example of those fans were always, obviously, the post-WrestleMania roars. Yep. The ones that bought the package deal have flown in from all these different places. The ones who care the most, effectively. But also the ones that most have problems with the products at times. Because it was them that basically forced them to continue on the Daniel Bryan Sheamus feud when their plan in the post-WrestleMania Raw was for him to be put with Alberto Del Rio. Yeah. But they spent all of that Raw just yesing everywhere. Yeah. And then the year after that is WrestleMania 29 and we get the Sheamus-Randy Orton match. And where the fans started chanting Mike Kyoda. Because it was like, he's the one in the ring we like the most. And then they were chanting Michael Cole, JBL, etc, etc. And what's so funny now when you look at the WWE is it's obvious that those fans aren't really there anymore. Mm. Or if they're there, they're less fussed about it because they have that alternative in AEW. Yeah. And we're probably going to see every single one of those fans at Wembley Stadium. (laughs) Okay, Eric percentage of it yeah a high number you know i've said it several times Seventy thousand people about ten thousand podcasts 
And we're one of them. <laughs> we'll have to trade around, yeah. bring business cards and just trade it with everyone. And now, but now it's like this weird world where every, obviously there's the social media element to it. And it's, it's funny when those moments, because CM Punk was kind of like a little bit playing the game and not addressing it. Like everyone would be driven crazy that when he'd tweet, he'd be tweeting about like the Blackhawks and the Cubs. Yeah. And not about wrestling and drive people crazy that way. But then you realise that there are moments where he, when he does let loose, such as the whole John Moxley Rocky Three thing, <laughs> or the whole appearing on Fox, being WWE but not WWE for a period of time. Yeah, well, that was another one where it was like it feels like he was diluting himself there. And again, I was like, are people going to care that much when he comes back? But I guess it, it does become it's picking that right moment and absence making the heart grow fonder. It was interesting though because he was gettable, and the Miz did get to him. <laughs> But the Miz always got to him. Yeah. Well, the Miz got to a lot because, of people. Is because the Miz is the other end of the spectrum in that he is the ultimate company man that will say and do whatever's asked of him. Yeah. And in many ways, that's admirable. And I do believe that's a true reflection of what he wants from life. Yeah. And I'm sure he does also sometimes say, oh, that's stupid, let's do something else. But he definitely does it in a much more diplomatic way. Yeah. He would have made a good life if wrestling hadn't worked out on a home shopping network. Mm. Or he'd have hit reality TV like like he'd, well, he already did. Well, yeah, but he'd have had the extra experience from it. Like if you can do WWE, you can do reality telly quite easily. He would have done WWE Big Brother UK at some point, wouldn't he? Have possibly. God knows they had like that Spencer bloke. I don't know what his name Spe- was. Oh, Heidi and Spencer. Spendles. Yeah. Spen- Spen- yeah. 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 I know who you mean. Whatever they were. And CM Punk is so obviously kind of the opposite of that. But then it's all that thing of like you know sometimes it's not great. To- have South Park and in many ways he's kind of like the Trey Parker rebellious but in sometimes kind of a pathetic man-child way as well <laughs> but you know you can't be a conformist if you don't wear black and smoke cigarettes oh yeah 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 <laughs> of like a different point CM Punk represented the indie scene in, in its entirety and like he was trying to do all these Japanese wrestling and everything but also this hodgepodge of every aspect of wrestling because he was also trying to do Roddy Piper and Memphis and all that at various points I remember watching him Talking about like the reputation he already had online and the criticisms of him that he was sloppy. And I was like, you are sloppy. Yeah. One of those great ways of measuring how good a person is as an athlete is who, when they do the spot where John Cena tries to do an AA on them and they land on their feet, who can do that and who can't do that and who tries to do that because he thinks he can do that, but then he can't do it. Yeah. And CM Punk falls in the third category. Yeah. Trying to do the buckshot lariats. Wow. Just all those little things that he... As brilliant as he is, he thinks he's even better. Yes. That's amazing, isn't it, really? He is genuinely one of the best wrestlers of the era. And he probably deep down does think he's the best of all time. And it's everyone else that's letting him down. Well, no, it's because you don't have great agility. Yeah. For whatever reason. You don't have amazing balance. He tried and he tried and he still did some good bits. I was always surprised that he actually was able to make a springboard clothesline a proper part of his repertoire. Yeah. And that must have been through hard work and graft and getting it right. But at the same time, he was running the wrestling camp in the Ring of Honor. And I've said this in the previous episode. Whilst he was running that camp, he was part of a special drill session that Jushin Liger did whilst he was in Ring of Honor. This was like late 2004. CM Punk's already headliner, main eventer, and running the Ring of Honor school. Mm. He was screwing up on basic drills and Liger was trying to teach him. And he was doing a crisscross running the ropes. And his footwork or something along those lines went wrong. And it was Punk's fault. So Punk is not the guy that could do the performance center stuff. Yeah. In a weird way. And that's another thing. 
Punk's, I remember him saying uh, before his UFC fight, oh, good luck, and he's like, luck is for losers. Well, you needed good luck. If Mickey Gall had slipped, maybe, yeah, <laughs> then you might have at least lasted more than 30 seconds. But Punk had genetics of, he was over six foot tall. At least in his youth, he was a good looking guy. Yeah. A few too many broken noses have maybe <laughs> affected him on the facial front. But he was a ladies' man for a good reason, mm. both in the looks and also clearly in the... Again, he can kind of manipulate people. And someone who's a ladies' man obviously has some sort of level of manipulation going on. <laughs> that is true. I, I guess it's how they present themselves in a sense. Like, they're able to market themselves well. Exactly. And I'm not again, I'm not saying this necessarily makes you a terrible person, but it's just a sign. Mm. And he, the big thing is that he had the good fortune that Paul Heyman was in ECW at the point that he was at, and ECW was at the point that he was at. And he was groomed to come out at the Hammerstein Ballroom to get the top reaction. And obviously there was WWE and Vince McMahon kind of sabotaging it as well. And he did fight against... Roadblocks were put in front of him that were unfair because he was better than what they were giving him. Yeah. And the way that like he was booked against Randy Orton was so symbolic of Randy Orton being a guy with even more good luck than CM Punk and being able to have the, manip- the situation manipulated towards him. And patience. <laughs> and more patience rewarded him, of course. Yes, absolutely. But Randy Orton's mellowed, and we thought that Punk had in old age and he clearly hasn't yeah that's true that's true if, if there was a maturity contest yeah randy orton's won that which when you see randy orton's starting point is hard to believe <laughs> yeah he was probably starting at a further back and got further ahead so you know it's very tortoise and hare isn't it <laughs> maybe because punk wanted it more than orton ever did as well like, he defined himself around it more than Orton ever did. Mm. Um, but he also was so fortunate with the timing. Like, he was booked to lose to John Morrison time after time because Morrison was clearly what they wanted. And again, Morrison, in the genetics department, because CM Punk clearly trains like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. But he's never going to get the Morrison abs. No, he's not. <laughs> he's never going to get the Morrison pecs. Yeah. At the height of his fitness, Punk never had abs. Not everyone can get them. No, of course not. And Punk is one of them. I don't know if I ever could have been one of them because I've never pushed it to that limit. <laughs> he was around, and this is going to sound really harsh, the Chris Benoit murder-suicide kind of helped him because that was when they really had to institute the drug policy. Yes, that is true. And if there's anyone that's going to pass the drug policy, it's the drug-free guy that makes it a part of his whole persona. Yeah. It is a combination of... Having the talent, being in the right place at the right time, but also being able to back it up when you're put in that position. And he was put in that position, partly through the work he'd done to get there, but also partly through the situations outside of his control, and he made it work. I've just thought of a line you said in the Colt Cabana podcast thing, which alludes to when you said Triple H was like, well, I'm drug-free, I just never mention it. But then uh, CM Punk makes sure that when he's asked to do a drug test, and he apparently gets the line in, oh, everyone you know, does these drug tests, and he just turns to Triple H and goes, really, do you? And apparently Triple H had no response to him at the time. Now, obviously, that's one person's version of events, blah, blah, blah. But it was, you know, it, it's out there in public record that he did say that that's what that happened, if you see what I mean. It's crazy that Adam Cole essentially did the same thing in a promo against MJF. Yeah. The punk one, I've just realised, the more I think about it, the more that's like, that's been banked for a while, and that's a receipt for that, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah, of course. CM Punk in so many times is right, and I get the feeling that my philosophy of what I like in wrestling, what Punk likes in wrestling, aligns a lot closer than what the Young Bucks like in wrestling. Mm. 
But there's just there's a core anger inside of CM Punk that I sometimes I wonder with Punk if he's gonna end up like Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather Part Two, just alone, isolated from everyone that he ever cared or loved. Yeah, because just gradually he had to wipe out all his enemies, and then just more and more people became his enemies. I don't want to get too much into it, but if you look into it, like him buying people their house or whatever. People with money, I'm in friendships with people with a lot more money than I am. Mm. And there are some points where I have to go to like one of them when they'll make all these suggestions and stuff about my life. And it's like, you know what people with no money love hearing from? Yeah. People who have money telling them how they can get more money. We love that. Or ways that we can cut corners and not spend as much money as we do. We love hearing that. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons that CM Punk hated Colt Cabana was that Colt Cabana wouldn't just be his yes man. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to be with my friend, we have to be ride or die. Mm. And you have to be with me for everything. Ride or die doesn't mean agree all the time, though. No, but I think Punk thinks that what it, that's what it yeah. means. There's never ever, as far as I'm aware, I think there was one moment where they weren't following each other on Instagram, which kind of just could have just been a bot thing or something. But there's no sign of any friction in his relationship with AJ Lee. Yeah. And again, that was one of those things. Or maybe he settled down and he's happy. He's found someone. He's not playing the field like he did. He found someone and he's stuck with this one. You're such a romantic. We've seen stuck this with this one. <laughs> he's gone, you'll do. <laughs> like if CM Punk with the attitude and the personality that he had had been born into the life of privilege that Triple H was, maybe he would have turned out a lot like Triple H and vice versa if Triple H was in had been born in a slightly conflicted household in Chicago, maybe he would have turned out a bit more like CM Punk. Mm. And similarly, CM Punk and the Young Bucks clearly have a I'm not going to take shit from anyone attitude. Which you kind of need. Otherwise you'll get eaten alive at times. Well, you do. But then it's also like, who's the guy in wrestling that maybe no one has any issues with ever? Sting. Yeah. And he's thriving. He's nearly killing himself, but he's thriving. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, he's, he's doing all right. <laughs> Another example down the other end of the cell, because I think so many, t- so much of what CM Punk thinks he is and wishes to have achieved is what Brian Danielson is and has achieved. Because mm. Brian Danielson did get to main event WrestleMania. Brian Danielson is beloved. Brian Danielson is genuinely in the ring, one of the best wrestlers of all time. Yeah, but he's also a great promo and has done made all those same emotional storylines. The CM Punk has. But Brian Anderson has an inherent mellowness and calmness to him. Yeah. Obviously, he has his moments of rage. But then someone plays the final countdown and he's like, oh, I'm okay now. No, that'd be all right. Yeah. Whereas CM Punk doesn't have that. No matter how many times you play the cult of personality. And that was... Actually, do we have any more points? Because I said I needed to do this. And I think, I think this is the right way to end it. Do you have anything more you want to add to this? We're not doing a Mount Rushmore. Because it's just, you know, pipe bomb... Yeah, you could pretty much call our spots if we were to do one, so that's that's why we didn't go down that route. No, I, I guess just to sum up, what he represented in his period when he was away, we've touched on, and that was like the chance were a rage against the WWE machine, effectively. What he represents now is... I think I think the duality of all of us. Kind of, yeah. I, th- I think he's a lightning rod for those people who are wound up by the Young Bucks style of like wrestling, but once is an alternative... And he's a lightning rod for like people who like that style to like rally against, but not go to WWE. Well, maybe there are divisions within the divisions now that those smart fans that he represented in 2014, maybe they're a bit more at each other's throats on Twitter now. 
all threads eventually not yet but eventually and in instagram and everything you know back in 2003 it was the blogs and i remember reading a blog of his where he was a uh, teddy hart famously done like <laughs> acted really recklessly that's not like teddy at a ring of honor show where he was diving onto guys after the match and everything that wasn't planned oh right okay. and teddy hart's just a fucking nah, he is a psychopath and again like cm punk in the asshole rankings <laughs> He's like fucking Maidstone United to Teddy Hart's Chelsea. He's more a curmudgeon. Yeah. And I've said one of the reasons I do appreciate punk is that I'm also a bit of a moody prick. I don't take it out on people. I just moan about things on podcasts. (laughs) Like, I won't say flat out to someone's face if they piss me off. Because to be honest, most of the people that piss me off aren't pissing me off because I haven't seen them face to face. I'm I'm seeing them on the news. Hmm. Uh, or, or if they're annoying, the ways they used to annoy me, I've got headphones now and I don't have to hear that shit. That's true. CM Punk just blogging away at him. And it's funny because he had like, he was in sort of the moral right and he had the smarter lines. But then when they had a fight at a TNA show a few weeks later, Teddy Hart kicked his ass. <laughs> wow. So you might have everything on your side. It doesn't necessarily match the facts of the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the physical element comes into it. There's no church in the wild. Yeah. And so the world doesn't... That's the whole thing. And I think it's one of those people that they kind of have that level of delusion. Not sociopath. I don't think Punk's a sociopath. But I do think he's a narcissist. Yeah. And narcissists just believe everyone else is stupider than they are. Yeah. It's like that great story of the guy... And you see it with Donald Trump, really, and Boris Johnson and all those people. <laughs> Yeah, his most recent one. This ULEZ scheme is shit. You introduced it, you bloody clown. (laughs) But the other example is, I didn't see the show, and I do mean to watch it because it's Eddie Marsden, and I really like him, but he played that guy who, you know, faked his death. Oh, John Darwin, Canoeman. Yeah, Canoeman. He just put on a really bad disguise after he died and was walking around his shops because he was so convinced that no one else could possibly... Figure it out. And they were just like, oh, how are you doing? Like, they knew it was him, Yeah, and he couldn't comprehend it. For, for um, any of our international listeners who might not know, Google John Darwin Canoe Man. It's wild. <laughs> Maybe watch that thing that Eddie Marsden did of him. I'm sure he's good. Eddie Marsden's always good. And I think Punk's a bit like that as well. I think Punk does kind of think he's better than you. Mm. But I think he has that awareness and he doesn't at the same time. We're all like that. I, I think I speak all these truths, but then I'm just say some exaggeration or untruth or whatever. I'm sure in my friends' versions of events, and probably the neutral observer amongst us who we were also living with, it wasn't ten minutes of silence after I proved him wrong. But my version of events, and in this instance, I'm not the idiot in the story. I'm the, needless to say, I got the last laugh kind of guy. (laughs) I just love that scene with Rob Brydon. (laughs) I do think you say, needless to say, I had the laugh laugh too many times. Fuck off! (laughs) because <laughs> you're like now you've now i've got alan partridge on the brain and he's like a sad narcissist where mm. he's not even on the level that people used to think he was at outsiders he's way below that but he's still at the level he thought he was at when he was good do you know what yeah. i mean that's that's i'm not saying cm punk's like alan partridge i'm just saying it's <laughs> but you're not not saying it I'm curious to see if he likes toblerones i think he has got a sweet tooth well we know he's got a sweet tooth chomping down on a wasn't a pickle, what was it? Muffins. Uh, MJF was muffin. pickles after the yeah. match. Well, that'll be... I mean, God, if... It, I mean, I feel like now at this point, MJF is allowed to mention Colt Cabana if he wants to in those promos. I <laughs> so. imagine he's told not to, so... I don't know. 
the facade was broken and then CM Punk started saying stuff about a bank account with a mother. One of those few moments where Punk didn't realise that, like, the world doesn't go by that. It's like, yeah, we don't. That's okay. No. I don't have a bank account with my mother, but, I, you know, I wouldn't think less of someone who does. Well, I would if they, like, don't have their own job. And Cole Cabana always had his own job. Yeah. It may be, like, the um, Akra Fakimi thing where... Um, all of his earnings go into are in his mum's name, and his mum gives him an allowance. And it's come out now that uh, his wife's divorcing him; that she can't actually get any of his money because his PSG wages are paid to his wife. So I'm not saying it's always going to be squeak, squeaky clean, like having money go into your mother's bank account. There are negative examples. <laughs> it's not an inherent automatic. It's not like he kicked a puppy. Like if someone kicks a puppy, they're a bad He's person. He's not Kurt Zuma. You're right. Yeah. If he has a bank account with his mother, that doesn't mean that he's an inherently terrible, pathetic human being and CM Punk was definitely in the right with his millions of dollars that he was able to spend on a lawsuit that Colt Cabana didn't have. Once again, for international listeners, for Kurt Zuma, see Michael Vick. Well, no, Michael Vick's worse, but yeah, similar, yeah, similar vein. <laughs> God, we really do need to do like a, an assholes ranking system <laughs> at some point. A tier list. Oh. That would be amazing. Like a, like all the different assholes of like history and wrestling and just tiering them. You know, shall, S-tiers. shall we for one Christmas just go full BuzzFeed? S-tiers, S-tiers are your Benoits. <laughs> I think assholes are a bit your, light. Your Jimmy, your Jimmy Snookers, you know? <laughs> What I'll say is this, like, it's fascinating, like, the reaction that he got in Toronto. CM Punk, more than anything, provokes responses greater than maybe anyone else in wrestling, except maybe Vince McMahon, that are, like, deep down within you as an emotional, like, what what you define yourself as a wrestling fan. Ah, uh, Cena, Cena for a period, maybe. But it's not necessarily about Cena as a person. With Punk, it's about him as a person. Oh, okay. Because if the gripe bomb hadn't happened... And he'd just been injured, and he'd said whatever he said. Comes back, does Forbidden Door 2. That Toronto crowd's going to go almost as crazy for him as they did for Kenny Omega, especially if that was the first time they saw him. The Kingston promo. I mean, if I was to pick anyone to be the person that sends Punk packing, if he does do a full heel turn, heel run, and that's him done, and he has to put someone over, I want the last person he puts over to be Eddie Kingston. Oh, and then Kingston and JF. I just want my boy to be champion. I want it. I want it more than anything right now. That's what's so fascinating about it. I am so... And my friend who I'm going to be sitting next to when we see the show. What is that response going to be when Colt's personality starts in Wembley Stadium? I want us to do an episode about the UK fans and UK's effects on wrestling in general. Mm. The UK fans were a big part of that post-WrestleMania 29 crowd. Yeah. The fandangoing for a start. We have our place in the world. (laughs) Because it will be the first time we'll have seen him. That's the key. Like Everyone is going to get a massive reception. Yeah. Uh, all in because it'll be the first time we'll have seen these guys when the acclaimed come out when fucking Danhausen comes out if he does Darby Allen any of the pillars really FTR all of them Kingston if oh, I, I want Kingston to be on that card so much and again one of the reasons why I've been loving CM Punk's run was how much it was just a Bret Hart tribute <laughs> you know? uh, that did tick your box but that's what we want now isn't it we want Bret Hart in 97 but again, it's not even nations, it's ideologies within ideologies. Yeah. Obviously, it'll be it's Chicago versus the world for the most part, but 
Okay, that was another thing that was like good luck for CM Punk because he was from Chicago. From when Chris Jericho debuted was when it was made clear like, oh yeah, Chicago crowds are the loudest crowds. Mm-hmm. Because they were doing this whole thing about how lucky Jericho was to debut in Chicago and so he got this huge cr- response because Chicago always responds the loudest. So I was like, okay, well if CM Punk's from Chicago, whenever that goes to Chicago, he's going to get massive cheers. He did do some show, I think it was a roar in the build up to that WrestleMania and it was in Chicago. And so CM Punk was the guy that was the most over amongst the Hardy Boys, Edge, Christian, Booker T, Randy Orton, mm. and Finley. <laughs> <laughs> Hi! If it had been Boston, maybe Finley would have got the response. <laughs> so that was always another thing that he had in his back pocket, and they've made it so much a part of AEW's identity. Like it was To the point that you're like, eh, they might be running the world a bit dry, and when he did come out of collision, there were definitely more empty seats the the second coming than they were the first dance yeah so it can be a law of diminishing returns if because it's like they go to canada because wf did go to canada a lot in 97 but there's lots of parts of canada yes there's only one chicago yeah but maybe london will it be a second chicago i don't know if it's him against mjf i think the british crowd will cheer mjf but i don't think punk will get booed when he first comes out Mm. but i think over the course of the match when the fans have to choose between the two they'll choose mjf yeah. And it's how does CM Punk respond to that? In ring, you'll know what to do, but backstage, will he be like, screw this, I'm off again? No, I don't think. Mm, well, I, the thing is, I can't rule anything out. There's only so many years left. Yeah. His body is clearly not going to hold up for much longer. No. He's, he's not at Tanahashi level of movement yet, or Matt Hardy level of movement, but time gets us all. <laughs> Here's one last question Does CM Punk ever appear on WWE TV again to CM Punk go into the Hall of Fame because they need heads of classes and they're running out and Punk is very much head of class caliber yes I I think he does go into the Hall of Fame Uh, will he wrestle for WWE again there's too many what ifs in that he could get a career ending injury to that next week that's a literal coin toss yeah but I think he I I think he definitely goes into the Hall of Fame yeah no I think he will I, th- I think that will happen do you think it will happen anytime soon or is this kind of an ultimate warrior Bruno Sammartino in from the cold kind of thing the bridges need to be rebuilt and boy are there a lot of bridges that that man's burns well Triple H was the guy bringing in the guys in from the cold where CM Punk seemingly seems to get on better with Vince than he does Triple H yeah well I always joke that it's going to be like one of the first big things that Aurora or one of the other Levesque girls are going to do yeah Maybe. Maybe one of Shane's kids. Probably not. <laughs> or maybe he'll just do it because he knows it will piss off Tony Khan. Because Tony Khan will be the big bad in his head in a, in a year or two's time. It's going to be a hell of a ride, and we're going to find out. Yes, it is going to be a hell of a ride. Unfortunately, I don't know if it will ever feel as fun, but I've thought that in the past and I've been proven wrong. So, But the last thing I wanted to do was just... Because I do think CM Punk does have this awareness at times but delusions at other times because he's come out to this song in ring of honor wwe and to get wwe to pay for a song it's crazy ufc and aew and the fans all sing along to it but i've always thought like it's curious how he positions himself and what this song is saying and does he get what it's saying at times and in various times he's presented himself on screen as, as like basically a cult leader or a leader of a faction yeah Second City Saints in Ring of Honor. At Full Impact Pro, which was like the sister promotion to Ring of Honor. He was doing like a heel cult leader. Uh, he was doing that. With, like They did a whole thing. They were recreating the Raven Sandman's son storyline with CM Punk taking Sandman's daughter away. Or they were trying to do that. I don't know if that actually went beyond the planning stages. Yeah. I do love what Raven said because he dealt with CM Punk at the time. And then he says, years later, I saw him on WWE. He's like, oh, he's finally as good as he thought he was. <laughs> But yeah, these are the words 
Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. And I've been using that phrase for like both Donald Trump and Jeremy Corbyn. Because yeah. it's weird, it's like, you do overlap a bit on that Venn diagram, Corbyn fans and Trump fans. I know your anger, I know your dreams, I've been everything you want to be. He's been WWE champion. Yeah, as AEW champion. He's written a comic book. He's been in a UFC octagon. A lot of people want to do those things. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be in an octagon. No, no, but a lot of people would like to be like... There, there is a proportion of people, yeah. A lot of people worked a lot harder. There is. I remember there was a guy who was like, oh, I called you out on Twitter, do you want to fight? And I was in the back of my head, I was like, oh, that guy might beat you. Yeah. <laughs> like Mussolini and Kennedy... And again, it's like those two different ends. Obviously, Kennedy had his faults, but he's, again, arsehole tier listing. <laughs> Although, again, I'm sure there are some, frankly, Jeremy Corbyn fans who will probably put them in the same category. Both both met a sticky end. Neon lights, a Nobel Prize, when a mirror speaks, the reflection lies. You won't have to follow me, only you can set me free. Mm. Again, it's like using the masses for his own... And that was one of those, that great promo on Triple H taking him to task as like, oh, you want to be the voice of the voiceless singer? Yeah, some people probably don't like it, but some people do. And who are you to say it? And all you ultimately mean is that you get to be on top and that's when things are right. Yeah. It's true. It is true. I sell the things you need to be. I'm the smiling face on your TV. I exploit you. Still, you love me. I tell you one and one makes three. Again, look at those Budokan Hall sales figures. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Like Joseph Stalin and Gandhi. Again, very different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, but both had both had foibles. Some more than others. Yeah, and still figures that are used to symbolise something to other people. For both good and ill. Anyone that's a communist or believes in like left-wing policies is like, Oh, like Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> Or like you know, all the rep. Everyone's pointed out like the way the Republicans have completely tried to claim Martin Luther King as something entirely different to what he actually was, which was a socialist inspirer of things and a man of true anger. Yeah. Towards wrongs that still exist. Uh, neon lights, Nobel Prize. When a leader speaks, that leader dies. You won't have to follow me. Only you can set you free. I think that's true. Yeah. Punk makes a rod for his own back. And ultimately, people have to free themselves of their own uh, reliance or built around like that... Attachment. Yeah, the person who had the CM Punk is my hero sign. It's like, really, you shouldn't have heroes after you turn about 25. No, kind of, I want to be just like you kind of way. (laughs) Yeah. There's people you can admire, and it's fine to admire people. And there's a lot of punk that I admire. You gave me fortune. You gave me fame. You gave me power in your God's name. I'm every person you need to be. And to very different people, well, he's a very different type of person right now. Yes. To that Chicago crowd and to that Toronto crowd. But he was getting a reaction. And that's what wrestlers are supposed to do. Yes. That's the way I look at it, man. It's a mixture. He'll still probably be in my top ten. You know? Yeah, like... But I don't, you know... I can put someone in my top ten and think Mm. I probably don't necessarily like them that much as a person. Role models and people you admire for their talent shouldn't necessarily be the same thing. And again, it's that whole thing of, like, how high level do you celebrate them and put them on a pedestal? This is it. I've seen, actually, recently a clip of Louis C.K. doing stand-up, and this is post-whatever you want to call the cancellation. Is he still doing shows to pack out crowds? So, exactly how cancelled is he? But... He's not in the public's light as much as... Basically, Louis C.K. wants to win another Emmy. Mm. And I don't know that he'll ever be able to do that, even if he does do the best. Although he did get nominated for a Grammy, so fucking who knows. But I saw him do a whole bit about 
slavery. And it was very funny, because he did a whole bit about how, very early on into our history, that we can see of recorded history, there's pictures of people with whips going like, ah! You know, controlling people. And it's like, civilization as it started, as we knew it, very early on, was people coming up with these new ideas, where it's like, oh, if we rub this together, it will create fire and kindling. And if we plant these seeds, they will grow and create crops. And if we take these materials, we can build them into better housings and yeah. that can insulate. And he said, very early into that period of discovery, loads of people just went, I'm not going to do any of that. They can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, that is very funny. And so I'm not disputing that Louis C.K. is still a funny person, but... And I did it just out of curiosity, like, what's my reaction? I bought one of the specials that he did after the cancellation, because he filmed it all, because he's not getting on HBO or Netflix. Again, he may want to, and maybe at some point they'll do it, because they can see that people are still paying to watch him, and money talks a lot more than morality does. Yeah, that is true. But when he came out, he was greeted like a returning hero. And there was clearly, like, this adulation and this sense in the applause of, like, we love you, and you've been put into a wrong situation. And I'm like, no, he hasn't. Mm. What he did was wrong, and he hasn't apologised appropriately. Mm. And again, to go back to that, Hannah Gadsby. Those two women, very early in their careers, and they left comedy because of what he did to them. And you don't know what those two could have done. Yeah. It's Picasso, isn't it? Exactly. And he's maybe a Picasso of comedy. A great comedian, but not a good man. Yeah. And I just, in the present, I struggle to enjoy it. I don't know if Annie Hall's going to be in my top 10 films of, of my 40th birthday, like it was on my 30th. Read my mind at the next example there. It's still a, an amazing film that tells so many truths, but is it someone I want to celebrate? <sighs> then we go into the whole cancer culture, and I'm not getting into that now. No, oh, no. But what I am cancelling is this conversation, because we've got to move on. For the next episode, it's going to be Match of the Week. And from an awkward conversation where no one wanted to say anything too egregious, but they were, to a mass brawl of violence, the likes of which you may never have seen before. Simon, what are we talking about? We are in FMW, and we're talking about one of your picks, which is uh, uh, someone we have talked about before, or referenced before, in... in our uh, conversations Onita uh, teaming up with Tarzan Goto against Dragon Master and Masanobu Kurisu in a Texas death match <laughs> sometimes we're like not everyone will have watched this match please try and watch this match before we go to that episode it's less than 11 minutes long the match but they pack a lot <laughs> I was going to say, you've listened to us for an hour and a half. You can you can watch this for 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending on a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of different companies that CM Punk has appeared in a video game for. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N that are the second and third letters in Manipulate. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. That's also my Threads account now. Woohoo! LMTYS doesn't have a threads yet, do we? But we no, do we have we do have a Twitter and a Facebook and LMTYS pod is that way to get to them. LMTYSpod at gmail.com is also our email address. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time.
who doesn't start going on about himself and settling old scores in public. Well. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> I, uh, I see some familiar faces here today. Some welcome, some not so welcome. <laughs> it looks as if I've had the last laugh on a lot of people who really didn't think I had it in me to become a brilliant priest. Well, what I say to those people is, look at me now. <laughs> but eventually, I got out of this headlock. And now, where are you, Father Eamon Hunter? Working with some pygmies in the South Seas, and where am I? Here, accepting a Golden Cleric Award for being a top priest. <laughs> yes, of course. He thought it would be a great idea, great fun, to pour water on this young novice's mattress. But of course, 30 years later, the smile has been very much swiped of Father Barry Kiernan's face. <laughs> and now we move on to liars. <laughs>